fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. You're listening to 1420 The Watch Clicker Podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? I'm doing great. I was just regaling you with my exciting last two days of legal... Uh, legal jiu-jitsu? Jiu-jitsu. There was, there was some jujitsu. Uh, but no, I'm good. I'm, I'm mentally, uh, I'm mentally coming in a little ragged tonight just because of my last couple of days has been pretty heavy, but good heavy, not bad heavy. What's the martial art where they have like the, uh, the wooden dummy with the little arms on it? It's all real close in. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I do. I do know what capoeira is though. That's different. That, that felt this. more like what I was doing, just it, like uh, twirling, cartwheeling. Uh, what's it? It doesn't matter. It <clears throat> definitely does not matter. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm doing well. The uh, the time that we get to do this is always like a nice like space in the middle of the week. Like, all right, I'm going to have that time where I'm going to be not doing any work. Andrew, how are you? I am... Also good. Uh, I'm. I'm still. I think recovering from uh, having kids home for two weeks. Uh, winter break is just taxing. Um, Happy New Year to everyone, by the way. I, I think just like we forgot to wish everyone a, a Merry Christmas, we f- did not wish anyone a Happy New Year. Um, and that's primarily because we wanted ourselves to have it, so we didn't want to wish that upon anybody else, lest it maybe take away from our own. Um, but I had a great Tuesday or Monday of football. Right, Monday? Yeah, Monday was when all the football was. Mm-hmm. It was a great constant day of football. I woke up, let the kids watch some TV for a little bit, turned on the duck game, and then did not stop watching football until I went to bed. Yeah. It was amazing. You, you know, as sad as I am for the Ducks to not have been a part of it, the college football playoff this year has thus far been the best of, of all of them. And it's the and it's the last year of four teams. Yeah, that's right. I don't know that that means it'll be less good in the future, but this playoff has been just, I mean, you have really two like barn burner games decided on the last play. Um, Pretty epic stuff. Yeah. Yeah, pretty epic stuff. Really, really fun football game. So yeah, I'm with you. I I really, I've never felt so conflicted during a a playoff game uh, in that, I really want Washington to take it all because we lost to them twice. But I'd also like their bus to be filled with bees after they depart the championship field. You say their butts? Bus. Their bus to be yeah. on. They said their butts to be filled with bees. Equally yeah. terrible. I'm, I'm kind of there too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. it was a really really complicated way to feel watching that good of a game. Both games were just phenomenal. Um, yeah. 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 Fantastic. Fuck the Huskies. Yes, indeed. Uh, and I felt really but good. But they're a really good football team. Yeah, I felt really good watching FSU get smacked, too. <laughs> they got beat by so much. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, they got smacked. I Look, if you're an FSU fan, let me just say. I understand that half the team didn't play. A, I understand half the team didn't play. B, I understand that you kind of got screwed. You got screwed. 
With that said, there is no fucking way FSU should have been in that playoff. They're just not that good of a team. Even before their quarterback goes out for the rest of the season, they're not that good of a football team. So, um, but yeah, yeah. So in any event, we're not talking about football. This is not suddenly become a college football podcast. There will be some of you that will be so happy to hear that we're going to move on from college football. I'm sorry for you folks. I'm sorry. We do it. Wing Chung. (laughs) We're here to talk about watches. That's what it's called. Wing Chung. Mm -hmm. Wing Chung. We're here to talk today to talk about watches, not football. Andrew, we're talking about watches. Mm. Who's? Anybody's. Oh, all right. Today we're doing a, a collection inspection of John Mayer. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he's got a rad collection. Yeah, which is why we're going to spend a whole moment talking about it. Uh, and then we're going to, right now, move on to some things that have caught our eyes over the last week, some new releases, some interesting thoughts as as we close up last year and move into this year, and just some things, some interesting stuff, some goings on in the watch world. So, new year, new year, new you, new new setup. Why don't you get us started tonight? Yeah, I want to talk about a a, a watch from a company called Longins. I think it's a long engine. Long engine? Yeah. It's a train company. Uh, Longine has released a gold watch. It's a gold watch. Uh, they're calling this the Master Collection GMT. It's in their classic series. And I think this is... I think Longine is doing some like... Like serious capital H hot. Oh, eh, no, that's not hot. This is luxury, though. Yeah. This is a freaking luxury watch, and and I kind of hate it, and I kind of love it. Roman numerals, a little tough, but the the case on this thing. So this is a watch that's available in both yellow and rose gold. Let's get it out of the way. This is a fifteen thousand dollar watch. It's got an Eta exclusive to Longines, Eta movement. I think they're called, uh, let's see. The L844.5. And 844.5, I think. Uh, this, this is 0.5. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is a 3.5 hertz, 72-hour power reserve, silicon hairspring movement. It's kind of dope. They're making 500 of the yellow, 500 of the rose, this is a 40 millimeter by 10.4 yellow gold, yellow gold GMT dress watch. God damn it. I fucking love it. But even as dress watches as it is, the lines on the case are super sporty. Yeah. This is good. It's a beautiful watch. I can't afford it. But I am like, if I'm going to buy a gold watch today, I might look at this one. Hmm. So here's some things I like about it. So it, it, there's nothing about this thing. So so a GMT dress watch, I think, is kind of baller. Just going to throw that out there. How thick is it? 10.4. Okay. The lines on this thing are crazy good. The font, the font on the 24-hour ring 
which is prominent. I'd say the 24, it's sort of a sector dial with the 24-hour ring being mm. the outside section. This, the font on the 24-hour ring is, I think, really, really nice. Um, and it's gold. And it's gold. I think with that 24-hour ring font, they did a really good job not getting too thin and that scripty, mm-hmm. the the... Ink doesn't trail off. It's still a, a good line as it th- tapers. Yeah, I, I think it's That's a terrific, really gorgeous font. Uh, I love the logo. I love the font on the dial. I, you know, I could give her, I could take her, uh, take her leave. What do you say? What's the saying there? Take her leave. I, I, I don't care about the Roman numerals. They, they work here. They match. Uh, they, they match the aesthetic of this watch. This is kind of a weird release. You know, this was on all the websites this this year. And I was like, or this week. And I'm like, well, this year also, yeah, this all, year. All of this year. All three days. <laughs> three? Yeah. This is the kind of release that I sort of like, I saw a bunch of like posts and I was like, I don't even know what this is. Uh, this is weird. And then I looked at the watch and I was like, holy crap, this thing's kind of awesome. I've got a, I've got one alibi to that. Okay. It's got a 21 millimeter lug width. Mm-hmm. They did the bull of a. <laughs> That's a weird move. You know, I'm sure that there was someone who was on the design team that was looking at proportions. I do not believe that making this a 20 millimeter lug width would have changed the proportions enough to have hurt someone's design. Uh, I don't get it. 40 by 21, the 40 and 21 podcast, not going to work. Really different ring okay. to it. They're, they could be doing that for like proprietary reasons, that they want to make it a little bit harder to get off-the-shelf stuff to go on it. Maybe. Yeah, I think I they're like trying to be a pain in the ass. I don't believe that. I think it's a design decision, I but I, I don't like it. I don't like it. But with that said, I like everything else. I like everything else. I think this is a terrific watch. The case back looks phenomenal. Numbered. You've got great sort of markings. The decoration on the the decoration on the movement is fantastic, as you'd expect for a watch in this price range. Uh, and the and the lines on the case, really, really well done. This is a cool watch. A little outside of what we normally talk about here. I almost I almost have to say stop saying that because I've been increasingly mixing it up. But yeah, uh, I think this is pretty terrific. It's well a, done, Longines. It's a good release. Uh, I'm going to start with something kind of caught my eye and got me into reading. <clears throat> so <laughs> Rolex has released their price increases for 2024, mm. which most brands do they don't necessarily release their pricing but most brands have an annual increase things get more expensive and in order to remain profitable they increase their prices too when i was selling beer every october so september your numbers were off the charts because people wanted to save like a dollar a case Mm -hmm. okay fine whatever buy three months worth of beer to save you know three hundred dollars way to go uh, but this was interesting. So uh, across the entire catalog, 
we're only seeing about a four to five percent, some cases seven, but a single digit year over year price increase. And some of them are low. The uh, the a gold Daytona, four percent increase. This is interesting. We're seeing it cool off in a really meaningful way. And I really dig that because that means that someday I won't have to pay a mortgage for a brand new inbox Explorer. I like this. 5% increase. I think on average, we're like if you if you average all the price increases, which they did not do, um, we're looking at about 5%, which is tiny. I mean, I think it's tracking cola internationally. So it, it is, but it's with the way the secondary market is, they could have raised their prices 30% and still not caught up to what their used products are making. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful of that. We're seeing, uh, you know, that the Explorer two is just 10,000 10, euro at, at retail. Yeah. Man. Just, I, you know, you look at these prices and it's like, well, this doesn't matter. That's how I feel when I see this, like these prices don't matter. No. Like the the price increase Rolex makes, it doesn't matter. Because it doesn't affect me. I will never be able to get it until France Trade Commission, whatever, we, the, Most what, the, of the, the Le Croissant de Trade or something, will uh, make them sell online. Andrew, I don't want to talk about it today, but I, I do want to talk about it at some point. Do you know anything about the Sky Dweller? Not not much, just that it exists, and it's probably one of the only Rolexes you can buy off the shelf in an AD right now. You know, I don't know. I, I didn't know anything about a Sky Dweller. Someone encouraged me to look it up. It's a really cool, it's a really cool watch. I think it might be like the sleeper coolest watch in Rolex's collection. I that for me, that's the Milkhouse. Let's we'll come back to this. I think we'll come back to this. Let's come back to this meaningfully. But the Soros movement in the Sky Dweller. Anyway, so yeah, Rolex price increases five percent. Not Does, much, and they're coming down secondary market. We're almost in the buy zone, folks. Buy. <laughs> um, Seiko Five GMT, Seiko Five Sports GMT. They released two new colorways exclusive to the Asia market this week. <sighs> Um, limited editions, both of them, which in Seiko terms means they made about 50,000, 400, <laughs> I'm going to say 450,000. Um, but they're really terrific. They're really terrific mm. colorways. So, um, one of them is, I think they're both are. So they've got a like red and kind of ghost gray bezel with this maroon, dial so it's kind of like a cardinal red and ghost gray bezel on a maroon dial with a gold gmt hand silver markings i think that this is when you see it you're like that's weird and then the more you look at it you're like oh man this is really good and the other one is a cocktail time blue dial it's not it doesn't have the texture of the cocktail time dial uh but like a royal blue or maybe even a cornflower e blue and black <clears throat> bezel with a red GMT hand. I think these both work incredibly well. 
that that blue is money. I love that. I I saw this and I was like, oh, of course it's Asian market only. <clears throat> so references are SSK 029 and SSK for the for the light blue and SSK 031 for the passion red. Um man. I kind of want one of these. Uh, available now-ish in the Asians market. They're going to be available here. Take a look at these. I, I think if you want sort of a low-key five sports GMT and you're not going to get the notice watch clicker GMT, these are pretty interesting choices. So, so these are <clears throat> being released in Malaysia, Brunei, Hong Kong, Macau, and Singapore. So not even full Asian market. Mm. And only a thousand of each. So you might not ever be able to get your hands on one of these. Nah, you'll be able to get one. You're, you might have to buy them on the secondary market, but you'll be able to get these. I'm sure of it. They're popping up. When do they release? January. So the available January. Now. Sometime soon. It's January. Well, it's not necessarily released yet. <laughs> Yeah, this is soonish though. Nowish for all for all intents and purposes. Okay, so since we're on the the Seiko world topic, uh, doing in- interesting um, placed releases. Grand Seiko is doing a new thing with three new SKUs to already existing lines that are online purchase only. First up is a SBGA469. It's coming out of their Heritage Collection. It's got that blue textured dial and it's just freaking gorgeous. Um, next up is the... Oh, and 7500 bucks for that, by the way. Which makes sense. It's spring drive. It's spring drive, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it, it's it, a really <laughs> classic spring drive power reserve. It, yeah, what's the thing? Which movement's in it? That's the, the 9R65. Uh, next up is the SLGH011 from the Evolution 9 collection. And this is a green version of that white birch that came out, was it last year? Mm-hmm. Well, it had to be last year because it wasn't this year. Uh, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago, but it's a green variety of that white birch that we saw, and is also gorgeous. And in, in sort of like a, what, what, like a dark jade is maybe yeah. what I'd call that. And the and the way they did the texturing on on it, it it kind of lightens up at the tips, very much in the same way birch wood, almost birch, not birch wood, with it with a U, wild. Uh, <laughs> Also, a uh, this is the nine S eighty hour power reserve on the green birch, by the way. Yes, 80 hours 13.6 on that one. Uh, but you can get them online, so you don't have to go find an AD. Uh, and then the SLGH 019, which is a not a white, it's it's the same line, yeah, powered by the nine SA5 movement, but this is a titanium case. That same kind of texture, but it's almost horizontal lines and a little bit smaller pattern than that vertical birch that we see. And uh, this is 
so good. To see finishing like this on on titanium is fantastic. But it's fifteen five. Yeah, this is expensive. So, um, <clears throat> good news is you don't have to travel to a Grand Seiko AD, which is good because you're going to save on airfare. But bad news is that these are spendy. These are some some expensive Grand Seikos, but a, a really cool colorway releases and an interesting thing. I'm wondering what they're like, what they're trying to pilot here and releasing online only. Um, you, you know, I think the evolution nine proportions are bad. Uh, I think it's a really terrific looking watch, but it's got a 22 millimeter lug opening with a 40 millimeter case and I think that it works. You don't notice it right away. But they, they're once a little squat you, off the bracelet, yeah. Once you notice it, it's like, oh, that bracelet's real wide. Um, which I think is too bad because I think these are really terrific looking watches. Um, especially that the, what are we going to call that? SLGH019, the blue dial yeah. here. It's sort of a really dark indigo uh, blue. Uh, this thing is a stunner. I have a problem with the proportions, though. And of course, and of course, these are fucking almost twelve millimeters thick. Each of them. It's like, come on. Yeah. Psycho. Yeah. Well, they have to get all those surfaces to be able to polish them good. <laughs> you can, like any thinner, and you're not going to really be able to appreciate the high polish. Now, I talked about this with someone recently. The spring drive, I think, is the ultimate evolution or at least today is the ultimate evolution of watch movements right the way the the way the energy is produced and then transferred to the hands i don't think there's anything as good as that on the market and good i mean the capital g good i, I think it's the best but they're so freaking thick can somebody please make a spring drive movement that is not seven and a half or eight millimeters thick or whatever these these things are coming in at because i mean can you imagine even thicker than that if if they're if they're only able to razor these down to 12 five yeah i bet with pinion you're at like seven and a half eight i, I don't know we could look i'm sure yeah. the information's available not gonna um, right now yeah me either w with that said um i don't think that i, I mean I, I don't think that they're really can you imagine a fucking snowflake that was nine eight or something? Like it would just it would change the world. A spring drive snowflake at nine eight. Come on, come on. That'd be even baller. just ten. Call it ten. Yeah, just call just it ten. Give them the extra point two. Give me a spring drive snowflake at ten, and and I'm gonna be in love for forever and ever. And and you might be taking his money. So just just you're hearing it now, Grand Seiko. You've got one, definitely one one purchaser. If you can if you can shave some weight. Did we talk about Nevada just like last week? I think we've talked about Nevada several times in the last several weeks. So Nevada's got their Chrono King chronograph. It's a chronograph watch. They have announced. This week, a they're calling this a Paul Newman orange Chrono King. And I was like, I don't understand why they're calling it that. And then I figured it out. So 
Why they're calling this the Paul Newman, I believe, is because of the font on the subdials. It's it is a very evocative. Uh, it is a very evocative font. So they've released this in two colorways. One of these is a, I believe, a Mecca Quartz, or not colorways, two two iterations. Uh, one of these is a VK63. The other is, this is the interesting one. They've released this with a new old stock Valju 23VZ movement. I think that they found a handful of these. I don't know exactly how many. I want to say it was like a hundred or something like that. Where are people finding these things? You know, just, just the shoebox in the back of the warehouse. Like, oh, look at that. I think that I think it is like that. I I do. I think it's exactly like that. So these things are terrific. The the dimensions are pretty good. It's thirty eight by thirteen. Millimeters, which is this really vintage <coughs> shape. The colors on this are terrific. It's a Chrono King. It's not gonna blow your mind if you know what a Chrono King is. Um, but I love these new old stock movements. 15 of them. Yeah, 15. Yeah, not very many of them. So that makes that's a number that I can get more okay with them finding. 4,990 bucks. These are not cheap. I don't know if they're even still available. They may. They 15. I'm sure they were gone the moment they went live. I, I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. Put it in the cart. Yeah. Buy now. They're sold. Delivery in February. They're they're sold out though. Um, but geez, this movement. So if you get a chance, click on the link in the show notes, uh, or just go to Nevada. They're they're still available on the web, or they're still appear on the website. <laughs> yeah. The movement on this thing is really really good just you can see all the gears you can see man oh man um it looks to me like they've paired this with a really shitty strap which kind of blows my mind uh, maybe it's not shitty but it doesn't look good to my eye um but whatever you're gonna put whatever you're gonna put some whatever strap you want i think this is a terrific release it is that's a gorgeous movement the seconds hand or the um, chronograph seconds hand on this thing is like just a big wedge, and I love it. Yeah, and I love it, and I think they did well on this Paul Newman font on the subdials too. And, and I think something that I I don't, I don't remember not seeing, but that I immediately really appreciated on looking at these up close photos of these subdials is these concentric circles. The fill of the ink into those is flawless at least in this particular watch i can't speak to the other 14 it's like super clean lines even over that space you you know we don't talk about pad printing a lot because i think most folks are doing pad printing pretty well Everybody's at like 90% on pad printing, which is really good. Um, There's not too many watches you see that aren't pad printed well. But when you see a really good pad printing Mm -hmm. in person, it's like, oh, God. It's like that Doxa Army, man. The first time I saw that, it's got the best pad printing I have 
ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I might need to get a Doxa Army because I've never seen anything like this. It's way better than the patent printing on the 300. It's crazy. Yeah. Why can't they do it across the line, though? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It must just be expensive. Maybe it's a different type of ink. Maybe it's a different application. I don't know. I don't know enough about the processes. But when you see a really good pad printing, and especially in person, it's like, holy cow, that's cool. It's like seeing enamel for the first time in person. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. This is cool. I don't have a lot more to say about it. It's not really a new release. It's it's a... It's just a cool release. And that's cool good release. enough. Yeah. All right. I have one. Uh, it's actually two. A brand called Arcanaut. Yeah, we talked about Arcanaut yeah. on the show with the Fortite. Yeah. So they've got two new releases. And <clears throat> I saw a picture of this. I opened it up and I was like, well, I don't really know how I feel about this. Because I started looking at the pictures because the lines are fascinating. It is a weird, weird watch. It's the name of the brand we talked about last week, the EC, 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 EC Andrews. Yeah, EC Andrews. Anderson? Yeah, EC Anderson. EC right. Anderson. Uh, just a weird watch. Looks very like concept designy. So they've released two watches. And now I'm as as I start reading about it, because I'm curious, I'm like, why why is this getting people interesting or interested? Here's why. They're doing some crazy material experimentation in these two watches. So the first one that they're releasing, they're, they're released, is the Bonehead. The Bonehead is using, and this is a brand out of Denmark, <coughs> is using a, I got to find it because it was like really unusual materials that they're using. Let's find it. Come on. Aerospace grade yeah. aluminum foam. Yes. <laughs> Aerospace aluminum foam, uh, discs of loom. This is so bizarre. And it's it doesn't look like a watch. It looks like And that's for the dial, right? That's yeah. yeah. But it's it's crazy. And what it creates with that mixing of uh of materials is almost looks like a cross section of styrofoam. A cross section of fully loomed styrofoam. And in the photos where you can see the full loom open, it's this really cool kind of plasma-y looking blue and is super cool. The tiger shark is, oh boy. This is Zir- the Mokumi Gane titanium, right? Yeah, Zir- Conium titanium composite, which creates a like almost Damascus steel wavy uh, appearance through it. <laughs> they describe it as less visually chaotic, uh, which is I I, I think I, I objectively disagree with their assessment of it being less visually chaotic. It looks very much like Damascus steel, uh, but it's titanium and is just neat on the backs they have so the the bonehead bears its name because of the loom pads on the case back of a skull burping lightning bolts and the uh tiger or not the tiger shark yeah the tiger shark 
the tiger shark bearing a, a tiger shark on, on its case back. So as, as I'm reading about this, I'm like, man, these are going to be crazy expensive. Forty-seven fifty for for that much kind of experimental design. I would have expected it to be much more, just because of how odd it is. Yeah, and and I, and I think I I think maybe you mentioned this, but it, I think it bears it, it bears sort of emphasizing. This is not a new case. These cases are the Arc Two case that they that they used for their release of the Fordite. Last year. Uh, dials that we talked about last year. Yeah, yeah. Fordite being, it's I think it's actually paint. I think it's multiple layers of paint that are like it's the in theory taken from like painting places that have build up layers. Yeah, it's from auto shops that yeah. have it's all of the the shit that <laughs> accumulates on the ground. They scrape it up, cut it up, polish it up, and that becomes their theoretically at least uh w- whether that's actually... i believe their story wholeheartedly do you not believe grand seiko's stories you know <laughs> uh, he drew he drew inspiration from staring deeply into the heart of that maple tree and watching it drip its sap and inspired the uh design i think it also bears mentioning that the way they've decided to market these and actually sell them is interesting so w- what i understand is that you can for 10% of the purchase price, buy essentially one of these watches today or buy an option on one of these watches today and get sort of direct feedback regarding the development process. So the there are no photographs of these. There's no <clears throat> prototypes from what I can tell of these watches yet. They're purely concept renderings. And, and so... By paying 10% of this purchase price to Arcanaut, you're going to be able to be sort of front row seat for the development process, which I think is pretty fun. Yeah. I think that's pretty fun. You get to have a... Yeah, front row seat, I think, is is the right way to put that. Because you probably won't be involved, but for funding it. That That's right. Yeah, that's right. No, I, I think I think it's actually a terrific company, and I I'm, I think that's a really fun watch. Yeah, I think these are really cool. Andrew, I'm going to talk about a watch from a company that we talk about pretty frequently, Boulder. With good reason. Boulder did a thing. Uh, they did a thing that would have been easy to miss. They released a Boulder Odyssey this last week. And it's a Boulder Odyssey that they, it's a collaboration Boulder Odyssey with a nonprofit that's seeking to preserve ocean biodiversity uh, called MGP, uh, which is, I, I want to say MGP is like a, uh, oh, Marine Genome Project is what the acronym stands for. Uh, and they're, you know, you look at the dial, and it's, I actually think the dial on this is stupid. It's got like bubbles, and it's got like a... A double helix. A double helix, a DNA double helix. Like, okay, we get it. We get it, Boulder. But then, I, but then, then you realize this is... This is a titanium odyssey. Yeah. This is a titanium odyssey, which means it's if you know what the odyssey looks like, it's a big looking watch. It's not particularly big. They're 40 millimeters, uh, but it's a just a big looking watch. It's the angles. Uh, 130 grams on this guy. Whew. So 40 millimeters with a 48 millimeter lug to lug. I'm pretty sure these have 20 millimeter lugs. I don't think that matters in this context. It's 12 and a half millimeters thick, which 
is about right for a 300 meter watch like this. It's got a Miyota 9015 and it weighs 130 grams for a big, giant, chunky dive watch. Okay. Which is rad. 700 bucks. And it's 700 bucks. Yeah. So I kind of don't like the dial. I wish this didn't have a stupid dial. I think it's got a stupid dial. I'm not wild about the bezel. <laughs> I'm not wild about the crown. The the bezels. But those are all subjective <clears throat> things, right? Like if you if you're cool with the dial, if you're cool with the bezel, if you like the looks of this watch, 130 gram, 40 millimeter dive watch for 700 bucks. Come on. It, it looks like the only loom on the bezel with a dive timer is the 12 o'clock triangle and the one, two, and three markers. It looks like the rest of those are I think the, voids. I, I think that that's right, Andrew. I think that the only loom is 12 o'clock, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. Because it doesn't even look like, eh. Which maybe, is interesting. Maybe it's, a, it's in the timer, but it's an interesting concept uh, because act if if you think about it in that context, it might be easier to see that in dark because you you don't have to orient. Mm-hmm. You always know where that fifteen minute gap is going to be. I I think it's an interesting concept, and maybe that's been proven out in other watches i don't know if they're the first ones to do this but i think that's an interesting concept frank told us he didn't care about loom yeah well and i don't spend any time underwater so I... <laughs> someone messaged me after that episode and said frank just ruined watches <laughs> <laughs> and i think it was joe and i was like yeah that's true no i want extra loom extra water resistance <laughs> 74 clicks of micro adjusts in my clasp. You know, Boulder's a sleeper, man. Boulder always has been. And I think it's because, <clears throat> partly because the watches they do are so... <sighs> boring's not the right word. No, because they're not boring. They're not doing crazy, innovative, super exciting, flashy stuff. They're doing really good, utilitarian wearable banger watches and they're doing it at a really good price. They're not like cutting edge in technology. They're, they're just doing a thing and they're doing it consistently. And I really like that. I don't super like this double helix, Mr. DNA over here. And I'm going to, I'm going to give one to Mike, uh, writing for the times. Um, I don't like the date, the date window. I know his big bitch is always date windows and, um, I'm going to, I'm going to agree with him on this one, though. I don't know his opinion on this watch. My assumption is that he hates the date window. (laughs) You know, Boulder, uh, I think, I think the thing with Boulder is cause they're not boring, right? You you had suggested and then recanted. No, that. I said I'm not going to say boring because boring's not right. I I think the thing is is they're kind of ugly, but that's subjective, right? I think a lot of people really like these designs, and in fact, they're always like slightly compelling to me. With that said, I think that they're doing really cool watches. 
Like uh, at this price range, the sub thousand dollar price range, you can find a lot of neat stuff. I feel like Boulder is like hit a certain degree of like, hey, we're doing our thing. It's our thing. Uh, you know, their dial's kind of reminiscent for me of of uh, Helson, mm-hmm. at least like the old Helson, which I never really liked. Um, you, you know, they've got the angles and the like, uh, but I have a really hard time criticizing Boulder. They, besides for besides subjective stuff, they kind of remind me of what Circula is doing. Mm. Circula is way cooler, I think. But it, oh, no, that's not true. They're not cooler. I I, I think I just like them better. I think they're very much in the same vein of doing just good, consistent utility watches. You know, I'd never made that that comparison, Andrew, but I think that's a really, actually, that's a really interesting comparison. I think it's really accurate. Thank you. Yeah. Have you ever delivered a compliment to me on air? I'm sure. Oh. <laughs> you, you, you tell us. Have I ever complimented Andrew on the air? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Probably not. No, nah, so you tell <laughs> us at home. Oh. No, I just told you. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting release. I, I think they're doing cool stuff. I, I wish this was. I wish they did one of these with a standard dial. Also, yeah, maybe they will. You 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 think there's got to be some R and D involved in doing this in titanium? So they're doing so much in titanium already, though. Yeah, like they they are. Yeah, that's true. Most of what they're doing is in titanium. <clears throat> So just just for the record, I think you've only ever been able to buy a 316L. Mm-hmm. Before now, you've only ever been able to buy a 316L Odyssey. So cool. The day has changed. Maybe you could swap out your dial. Buy them both. And yeah, I don't know, man. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna try to open up a boulder. I don't think. Uh. Uh-uh. No, I don't think so either. Andrew, what's next? Uh, last up for me is a close out of 2023 with chrono 24's best-selling mechanical chronograph the speedmaster could it have been anything else this watch has been around virtually unchanged on the outside for 60 plus years i fucking love that think of how many mechanical chronographs exist in the world at higher price points that are more of them out there, and this is still out there killing it because it is the Speedmaster. And I like that. I wonder how much the um, the Moonswatch arrival drove Speedmaster purchases. I don't know. I I, I don't think. I don't think it could possibly move the needle. I mean, one of the things I recognized very early in my watch journey was that the Speedmaster was the coolest watch on the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. And then I put my money where my mouth was, and I still wear a Speedmaster about once a week. Uh, I'll never sell it. I still, to this day, think it's the coolest watch. I just... You know, maybe a Nautilus, maybe, I mean, there's some other watches that for whatever reason, it's like, okay, that's more, that's more this or that's more that. But I think the Speedmaster is the coolest watch. And 
I, it's hard for me to imagine that this moon swatch could take the coolest watch and make it cooler. The moon swatch was the third highest selling watch on Chrono 24 this year. That's funny. Yeah. What was two? Uh, two was, I don't know. <clears throat> the top three were uh, the date just, that was the, the number one sale. Um, two is the, uh, Seamaster 300. And then number three is the moon swatch. So Speedmaster doesn't break into the top three, but it's analog does. Yeah. Speedmaster had to be, had to settle for the highest selling mechanical chronograph. That's right. That's right. Just a, a 2023 closeout on uh, secondary watch purchasing. The Moon's Watch is the greatest watch on the face of the earth. I'm a little surprised the Datejust is the number one. Yeah, you know, that might just be by way of more Datejusts being available than yeah. any other watch. Yeah. Huh. There you have it. That's the top three and, and the top one in a uh, secondary category. Andrew, are you uh, anything else you want to talk about today? I, I, I don't think so. Um, well, then why don't you tell me about your other thing? I have another thing. I watched a new movie last week, maybe the week before. Doesn't matter. It's been recent. A movie called Rebel Moon. I, I saw this. It's a an American space opera directed by Zack Snyder. I saw it, I saw the, the tile for it, and I was like, ah, this looks interesting enough. I watched it, and I thoroughly enjoyed myself throughout. It felt very Snyder the whole time. But the whole time, there was just like kind of this like weird nagging to me. I have since done some reading about how people feel about Rebel Moon. I just, I don't think I fully agree with the... <clears throat> some of the negative commentary that I've seen that it's a ripoff of this, that, or the other thing. It sort of is, it sort of isn't, but it's a thoroughly enjoyable Star Wars adjacent universe. So I, I will say, I watched this movie. You you said, actually my I wife. worth a watch. My wife said to me, I'd like to watch that movie Rebel Moon. And I was like, what? Uh, okay, Yes. Yes, if you want to watch that movie, we should watch that together. And then you sent a text message that same day and said, I watched Rebel Moon. It's worth a watch. And then I watched it with my wife. And I will, just to start, say I totally agree with you. I enjoyed myself while I watched it. Uh, no spoilers except that you end with a big cliffhanger, right? Well, but you end with a big cliffhanger because the sequel comes out in like... April. April. So... That that to say, that to say, and they it's the title is suggestive of a multi part series. That's right. It's Rebel Moon Part One or whatever. Um, that to say, as I was watching this movie, I was struck at several times. I I think I said at several times to Kim that that's stupid, and then at other times I was struck by how closely this movie aped. Other movies. Lots of other movies, not just Star Wars. Yeah, not just Star Wars. Uh, but there are some really, really, like, 
I wouldn't say obscene, but some really, um, what's the right word? Like obvious Star Wars. It's like, well, okay, guys. Um, One of the antagonists who you don't really get to know um, in the movie is like the makeup is, was it, there was a movie with an alien cop a few years ago. I, there was just like, there were just a few things where I was like, I feel like some corners were cut. There was a scene that I swear to God was from star Wars. It's it's possible. And, and then there's the scene where the guy tames the horse. Yeah. And, And I was like, this is stupid. So, and then it remains stupid. But you're like kind of okay with it because it's yes. still enjoyable. It was it enjoyable. It still has that kind of graphic novel choreography. The cinematography was really lovely. Decent. I mean, I, I, the way they integrated like almost animation into some of their distance shots was, I, I at times I was like, is my TV going out? And then it would come back into full focus, and I, I, I really enjoyed it. It had it has some problems, but I also really enjoyed myself, and I will watch the sequel, um, and then whichever ones come out after that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the sequel. I'm looking forward to part two. So, uh, yeah, kind it's, of a weird movie. It's called Part One: A Child of Fire. Andrew, have you seen Oppenheimer? I haven't. This isn't my other thing, but you should watch uh, Oppenheimer and we should talk about it because I watched it with Kim this last week and I was like, at first I kind of hated it and then, yeah, anyway. Is it one of those slow burns? It's a slow burn. And by the end, I was like, oh my God, that was really cool. So you should watch that and we should talk about it. Um, We'll we'll give you a spoiler alert when we we talk about that on the show. Um, But... My other thing is, all right, we'll just say, hey, we're going to talk about this. If you haven't watched it, stop. But um, you should watch it. between. Don't learn a book between now and then, though, because the story's been told. Um, I watched uh, or excuse me, I started playing a video game, Andrew. Ooh. Uh, and this was one of those things that surprised me because I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I have. Uh a few years ago, I bought Zelda Breath of the Wild for the Switch that we have for the family. And I played Zelda Breath of the Wild and I really, really, really enjoyed it. I want to say two years ago, Nintendo started leaking uh, stuff about the follow up to Breath of the Wild called Tears of the Kingdom, the sequel, I guess, to Breath of the Wild. And I. You know, the the closer we got to the release of that game, the more I was kind of like, meh. You know, that like, meh. And the reason Mm -hmm. I felt that way, so when you look at the trailers for Tears of the Kingdom, when you look at any sort of video of the gameplay or whatever, the graphics are identical. The map appears to be identical. The monsters are identical. Uh, I was like, this is just Breath of the Wild. It's just Breath of the Wild, and they changed some shit. Like, this is cheap. And my my patience for spending another 70 bucks... Did, did they trick you, everyone? ...on DLC 
I was like, I just don't have any patience. So I'm about eight months late on this review. This came out, I think, back in March or April, something like that. And reviews were really good. And I was still just like, meh. Well, I finally picked it up for Christmas and started playing it. And I could not. Did you do the baller move and buy it for your kids for Christmas? Uh, No, I bought it for me. Oh. I bought it for me for Christmas. Um, I couldn't have been more wrong, Andrew. So the things that I noted are true. The graphics are the same. Hmm. The engine is the same, I assume. Uh, The world is the same. Literally the same world. Except that now we've got more layers. And they did a thing. So anybody who's played Zelda knows that... Zelda, your your toys are what makes the game. So you get a set of tools, and those tools are what make the game. You start off, and it's just your little, your little guy and a little sword. And, uh, and then over time, you get more hearts, and you get more tools. And those tools help you solve puzzles. The whole game is a puzzle, right? You're mm-hmm. killing monsters, but it's not really a monster-killing game. It's a puzzle-solving game. And so your tools help you navigate the puzzles and as you progress through the game the puzzles get increasingly more complex and you need the tools and how you apply those tools they did a thing with tears of the kingdom so with breath of the wild the first one i would not have said this before i started playing tears of the kingdom but with breath of the wild the ideas were immature the ideas and the implementation of the tools was immature. They It was almost like a prototype or a beta. Hmm. And with Tears of the Kingdom, they have improved on every single aspect of the game. Um, it, it's one of those things where because of the way they've implemented physics and because of the way they've implemented how you're able to interact with the things in this incredibly rich world you, you there are almost no rules there are almost no rules everything's challenging the challenges are real but you know how like you're playing a video game and sometimes you can't figure thing out and then you realize oh i was supposed to have done this really specific thing And now that I've done that very specific thing, I can progress to the next part of the game. Mm -hmm. There have been times in this game, multiple times, as I'm playing through, where I've gotten to a thing and I was like, I don't know what to do here. And then I just stop and I look at the things around me. I look at the tools I have and I figure out a plan and I accomplish the goal. And then after I accomplish the goal, I realize that I've not done it the way the game designers wanted me to do it. Oh, so it doesn't count. It does count. Oh. That's the best part. It does count. So they say, oh, okay, here's how we've designed this problem. Here's our intended solution. But there are other solutions because it's just physics. It is just tools and ingenuity and creativity, and if you're if you have enough of ingenuity and you have enough of creativity, 
you can find a solution, even if it's not the solution they intended. That's interesting. Is the game. It is incredible. And I'm having so much fun with it, even though I expected to be like, meh. (laughs) I'm just like, maybe the greatest game ever made. It's maybe the greatest video game ever made. It's a big claim. Like Breath of the Wild was the greatest video game ever made before it. Hmm. It's like for them to have improved this much on Breath of the Wild, which at the time it came out was the greatest video game ever made. For them to improve this much on it blows my mind. And Nintendo, you've got my heart for forever and ever. Amen. They got you. They got me. All right. It's so good. <laughs> play Tears of the Kingdom. I'll have to come over and play it. Uh, in what is likely the shortest episode of 40 and 20 in the last three or four years, Andrew, do you have anything you'd like to add? I'm, I'm all out of things, ma'am. I think that's a good time for us to just call it then. So I want to thank you at home for joining us for this very, very short episode of 40 and 20 in this brand new year Mm -hmm. happy new year i'd like you to do me a favor go to our website watchclicker.com that is where we post every single episode of this podcast but also where we post reviews and articles and things about things Uh, watchclicker.com if you want to see us on social media you can do that at what at watchclicker or at 40 and 20 underscore watchclicker that's how we share pictures and announcements about what's going on if you want to support us you can do that at patreon.com slash 40 and 20 and that's important folks because we don't have an income here an income stream outside of that so all the things that we have to pay for including hosting and microphones and software and hardware all of that stuff comes from the folks supporting us on patreon so patreon.com slash 40 and 20 go there support us we love you And don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye.